When I hear that song sung, I often think about the guy who wrote it, Horatio Spafford, a man who prior to writing that song lost his entire fortune, lost his son to scarlet fever, sent his wife and remaining children on a European vacation ahead of him because he had to stay in the United States for a couple of days to finish some business. The ship that his wife and children were on sunk. His wife was one of the ones, the survivors, his children did not. His wife cables him from across the ocean. This was in the mid, late 19th century with just two words, saved alone. Horatio Spafford makes his way across the sea to join his wife. And it is said that as he passes the spot where his children died, he pins the words to the song, it is well. Uh, brings a different meaning to that song when you sing it, doesn't it? Well, welcome. Uh, man, it has been an amazing, beautiful week, hasn't it? I mean, just incredible, uh, really. I didn't get spring break like some people, but I did enjoy parts of it that I could. Uh, Spring is here, Easter is on its way. I'm excited about the new series that Pastor has for us coming up soon as we make our way uh, into Easter. Yes, Pastor will be back. I know some of you are eagerly anticipating uh, that. Uh, and I am looking forward to it uh, as well. Uh, and that is soon, but we're finishing up uh, our series this month uh, about how to get what you really want which, as we've discussed many times uh, right now, is peace, peace in all areas of life. And we're going to be talking about uh, finishing our uh, discussion, or getting close to finishing our discussion of financial peace uh, today. You know, as Christians, um, we really like the Bible, uh, but we like it in encouraging 10-second sound bites, right? Uh, something we can cross-stitch on a pillow, preferably, uh, something that looks good in an Instagram picture in front of a mountain background with little clouds floating uh, across um, peaceful little mountain stream maybe. Looks good uh, in a picture. Um, there's a reason the Bible app, if you have the version Bible app, has a Bible verse of the day and not a Bible chapter of the day, right? Because you wouldn't read it <laughs> uh, if it did. Our attention, span, our attention spans are too short. Um, in the world of Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram, we give something about 10 seconds, right? And then we're scrolling, constantly scrolling uh, onto the next thing. And while there's, uh, there's nothing wrong with a one verse dose of scripture, uh, it does have a downside, uh, I think. And one downside is we risk missing what God is really trying to communicate to us. At best, we can get an incomplete picture and at worst, we get a completely wrong picture. Um, sometimes we start believing that God has made promises to us that he has never made. Uh, for example, God never said, uh, if you become a Christian, I will meet all of your needs. What? Yeah, I mean, 
John 3.16 uh, doesn't say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life and have all their needs met. Oh, wait a minute, though. Uh, you know, I mean, I memorized a lot of scripture when I was in my Christian school that I went to, and I'm pretty sure there is a verse that says, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. As you guys know, everything, every verse that I have memorized is in the King James Version of the Bible. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's what God said. I, was, I saw it on a Facebook post the other day. There was definitely a scripture reference beside it. Um, and you're thinking about, this is the verse you're, you're thinking about, and, and I remember, which is Philippians 4.19, which says, and the verses that I give you today will be from the New Living uh, Translation. Uh, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. And it does say God will supply all your need. But who is, who is your that he's talking to uh, in this uh, chapter? You know, uh, Pronouns have a purpose. I was an English major uh, in, uh, in college. Uh, and uh, you know, one thing I don't remember much about it, but I do remember pronouns have a purpose. And when you get a pronoun, you always need to go find the noun to which the pronoun is referencing. And in this case, the noun, the subject that the pronoun is referencing is the church that Paul is talking to uh, at Philippi. And so, we're going to read some. We're going to, we're going to read some scripture today, guys. And there's going to be a, there, there's going to be a lot of it. I'm just going to tell you that right now. And we're going to go through it pretty quick. Um, so don't don't let me lose you. And now you just you just hang with me. All right. We're going to start in, in Philippians chapter four, and we're going to start in verse ten because I want you guys to see why Paul is saying what he's saying to these Christians. In Philippi. Verse 10, Paul says to these people, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's a classic verse, right? Philippians 4.13. If you went to a Christian school and you played a sport, that had to be your team verse right there, right? It's mandated. Um, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Verse 14. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Key part right there. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. So, the Philippians in chapter four that Paul is talking to, these are a group of people who were apparently extraordinarily generous 
with him when no one else was. Paul says, I had a need. I knew that God was going to take care of me. And, you know, I mean, and I've also learned how to be content, whether God's given me a little or God's given me a lot. Nevertheless, you, you, Philippians, have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. Now, how did they help? I mean, financially. Uh, if, you read, if you have a different translation, it probably says giving and receiving. And they did it more than once. And then Paul says, I'm not praising you guys for your generosity because I want you to give me more. That's not what this is about. Remember, he's already told them that he knows God's going to take care of him. He's not praising them to get more stuff for his benefit. He says, rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. Paul doesn't want their money. He wants them to experience the blessings of extraordinary generosity. That's the context of Philippians 4.19, by the way, when he says, my God shall supply your need. It's a message to a group of extraordinarily generous people that God is going to meet their needs as they meet the needs of others. That's the message of Philippians 4.19. Now, we're going to be talking about generosity a little bit today, and I want to say something like two things to you. Listen, listen carefully. One is, I'm not asking you to give anybody any money, okay? People kind of tighten up whenever, you know, no, not, that's not what this is about today. And the second thing is, this group of people is extraordinarily generous already. Uh, you heard Gene talking earlier about Operation Christmas Child and the way that you gave to that and the impact that that has. You've been a huge part of that ministry for a long time, and it has a substantial impact. This church is extremely generous and has been for a very long time. So please understand, this is not about you give money to a church. This is about learning to live generous lives uh, and the impact that that has on our world and on our relationship with God. I want to travel into a, a different place. We just saw what Paul had to say to the Philippians. Now I want you to see what he says to a tr different church, a church in Corinth. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 says to the Christians there, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Now, he's talking uh, to this church in Corinth about a need that the Christians in Jerusalem have, a financial need uh, that they have. Uh, and uh, he's letting the church in Corinth know what the Christians in Macedonia are doing about this need and what he wants the church at Corinth to do about this need. Verse two, they're being tested by many troubles and they are very poor, these Christians in Macedonia, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. By the way, joyful people are generous people and generous people 
end up being joyful people. Verse three, for I can testify that they, who's they, that the church at Macedonia gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. In other words, Paul wasn't beating on them, like, you know, give, give, give. Verse four, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Begging for the privilege of giving? It seems odd. These Christians in Macedonia must be weird. Verse five, they even did more than we had hoped for, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. Stop for a second. The first thing the Macedonians did was they gave their lives to God because without that, I mean, none of the rest of this really makes a whole lot of sense, honestly. Verse six, so we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you, Church of Corinth, and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. Stop. Testing. Like, what you do with your money really shows what you're serious about, what your priority is. Because it's easy to say, as these Christians in Corinth had done to the, to the people in Jerusalem, I love you and I'll be praying for you. Right? It's a whole lot different than to give. Right? To give in sacrificially. By the way, if you get the opportunity, um, read 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. Uh, second, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 in its entirety. Because I can't really, I mean, I can't prove this to you, but it really looks like the Apostle Paul has a sense of humor. I mean, he, he's, it's almost funny when uh, you read it. But I don't have time to do all of that uh, this morning. But you should. You should go back and read it. Verse 9, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. You guys remember Jesus, our example, who had everything and gave everything. Verse 10, here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now, you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Let your actions match your words. Verse 12, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give, accordingly to, uh, give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. Apostle Paul says, I'm not saying give every last dime that you have, 
But if you have a lot, give a lot. And if you have a little, give a little. The important thing is share in someone else's burden. That is his message to the church at Corinth. You know that there is this need. You were excited about, about being a part of it. You said a bunch of stuff. Now let your actions match your deeds. Share in someone else's burden, which sounds a lot like Galatians chapter six, verse two, which I don't think is on the screen. Where it says, share in one another's burdens. And in that way, do what? Fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? We know that here. Love is the law. Love is the law. Love God, love people. How do we do that? We share in one another's burdens. How do you share in one another's burdens? There's a, we physically share. Paul continues, by the way, in chapter nine on this same topic. We'll read just a couple of more verses. He says, remember this. Verse six, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Key verse, right? Here we are. God will generously provide all you need then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So two things to note in that verse. Once again, we see, this is verse eight, once again, we see that God's provision is not part of some Christian benefit package, right? Uh, you sign up, you get eternal life, uh, four guilt-free Sundays, uh, maybe a year off, dental insurance, and a lifetime supply of having your needs met, right? God meeting your needs is not part of some benefit package you get just for signing up. It's a promise that those who freely and generously meet the needs of others will have their needs met. Second thing out of that verse, generosity is not a scheme to get wealthy. As you are generous, God is generous with you not so that you can accumulate earthly treasure, but so that you can continue to share in the needs of others. You will have plenty left over so that you can what? Share with others. Verse 10, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way, so, so what? So that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things, this is verse 12. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. When you're generous, two things are gonna happen. The physical needs of others will be met and God will be glorified. His name will be made great. God provides for generous people so that they continue to, can continue to be generous and share his love with others. Nowhere does God promise to meet the needs 
of those that only live to accumulate possessions and increase their own comfort. It's, it's nowhere, you won't, you won't find it. His provision, this is on screen, his provision is for a purpose. And that purpose is not your pleasure. I'll say it again. God's provision to you is for a purpose. And that purpose is not your pleasure. It is not your comfort. It is not for your consumption. When you make money a tool for God's purpose, though, and not for your own pleasure, that means God has the priority in your life. God is primary, money is secondary, a means to the ultimate end of glorifying God. Money is a means to the end of glorifying God and not the end itself. The Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth that money is a test. It's a test to see what your life centers on, what you value, what you love. There's something about money that pierces through your words and lays bare who you really are and what you really prioritize. And you guys sure are talking, talking a lot about money. I mean, take a look at the New Testament sometime. Jesus talks a lot about money. It's all over the place. Because I think, I think this, is, this is part of it. Because how you view money and how you use money shows more clearly than anything else how you view God and what kind of relationship that you really have with him. Do you view God as somebody that you depend on, that you trust in? all that you have and all that you need? Or is God an accessory in your life? And money is really what you depend on for all that you have and all that you need. Read this quote to you. These are the words, um, these aren't my words, these are the words of a man who knows what he's talking about. The litmus test of our devotion to God is our willingness to put him and others first in the area of our money and possessions. The litmus test of our devotion to God is our willingness to put him and others first in the area of our money and possessions. Eh, seems kind of like black and white. You know, my situation is a little bit different than your situation may be. You wouldn't say that if you knew what my financial situation was. It may seem kind of hard, so I think it's right on. Uh, and I th the reason I think that is because Jesus illustrated it for us throughout the New Testament, but especially in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. I told you there was going to be a lot of scripture this morning, but don't worry. We'll make it through. Chapter 10, verse 17 as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus asked, only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. 
You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Now, if you know your Ten Commandments, that's like Commandments 6 through 10 or 5 through 9 or something like that. Well, he left out like the first four. I don't know why. Somebody who went to seminary could probably explain that to me, but it's just kind of interesting that he, he only uses those commandments. And the, uh, the guy responds, verse 20, he says, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was a young man. Verse 21, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. And he says, there is still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And we all know how the story ends, right? At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad. Why? He had a bunch of stuff. He had a lot of stuff. Wasn't some poor guy. He's a rich guy. His stuff had taken care of him and kept him feeling safe and secure. He knew that if a problem came up, he had plenty of money in the bank to take care of it. Man, what would happen if he had to give all that up? How would the bills get paid? I mean, what's going on here? Does Jesus really want this guy to sell everything he owns? I mean, I, not really. We'll talk about that more in just a second. But it's, it, again, it's a test. What is it? It's a test to see where the guy's heart is, right? To see what he prioritizes. See, this guy is pretending like his priority is the kingdom of God. And to prove it, he tells what is an obvious lie, which is that he's kept all those commands from his youth. And implied in that verse, by the way, is that he had kept them all completely, right? Never, Never strayed, never told a lie, never dishonored his mom and dad. I mean, come on. An obvious lie. And Jesus knew that it wasn't true. But see, it's easy to say stuff. It's easy to say stuff. It's easy to sound spiritual. It's easy to post a scripture verse on your Facebook page or put a fish sticker on the back of your car or any number of other things. Why? Because it doesn't really require anything from you. There's no sacrifice. It certainly doesn't require yourself to surrender uh, to God. It's easy to fool others and yourself into believing that you've made God number one in your life. But what's, the real, what's a real indicator of where your heart's at? What's a real indicator of where your priority is? What's the real indication of the nature of your relationship with God? I mean, this is, this is, this is what Jesus says. It's what you do with the possessions that God has given you. By the way, why did he tell him to sell all that he had? if he really didn't mean sell all that you have? Why not give him some reasonable amount? 10%, right? 10%. That seems totally reasonable. Why didn't he just say that to the guy? Because that wouldn't have cost the guy anything, right? 
because giving that doesn't really cost you anything doesn't show where your heart's at. It just shows how much money you can give away and still live a comfortable life. This is how most of us give, okay? This is how most of us give. Maybe not, no, I'm sorry, not you. Some people, other people give this way. Um, um, hey, baby, uh, we got this extra money and uh, we've paid all this other stuff and um, hey, you know what? Pastor keeps talking about this thing or hey, we were at that concert where they had those, you know, that thing about adopting a, mission, a, a kid, you know, or whatever it is, whatever your thing is. We should, let's, let's give, yeah. yeah I mean, let's go ahead. I mean, you give out of the excess, right, that you have over here. Giving that doesn't really cost you anything is not an indicator of where your heart is at. The guy probably gave money to the temple. I mean, guess. Um, telling him to sell everything showed that his priority was his possessions. And so it is with us. If Jesus were talking to us, he might say, don't show me how much scripture you know. Tell me what you do with God's money. Don't quote C.S. Lewis to me. Show me your bank statement. Don't tell me how much quiet time you had last week. Tell me what you do with the possessions that God has entrusted you with. Because, Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart, that is your wishes, your desires, that on which your life centers, will also be. By the way, did you notice uh, that Jesus didn't say to, the, to this rich young guy, uh, go sell all that you have and bring it back here and give it to me. Jesus never asked for money from anybody in the New Testament. Except I think there was that one time where he asked somebody for a coin so that he could show him that Caesar was on one side you know, of it. But he never asked for any money for himself. He lived in poverty, but there isn't one time where you can find him telling somebody, I'm God, give me some money. Why? Because God doesn't need money. I mean, it's kind of obvious, right? God doesn't need money. He's the God of heaven, right? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills to go along with it. And oh, by the way, your money is actually his money. And he can give it, and he can take it away anytime that he chooses. And if you think otherwise, you're fooling yourself. I mean, you can clutch it and hold on to it as hard as you want. But see, God doesn't want the money that you have. He wants to make sure the money doesn't have you. Because when it does, you spend your life pursuing meaningless, temporary things that don't glorify him and that don't bring you, ultimately, any fulfillment. I came across this uh, quote um, from some guy named John Piper. Uh, 
Just kidding. He's a well-known theologian, right? Uh, and I really, I thought it was really great. He says, oh, that young people would learn quickly and older people before it's too late. That there is no positive correlation between having many things and being very happy. A life of simplicity with a governor on your spending and a passion to advance the kingdom through giving will be a far happier life than a life of luxury. I plead, especially with teenagers and the young single people to learn these things early because the statistics show that the young are less likely to give anything than the older and the single are less likely to give anything than the married. In Christ, you do not need to be old or married to be smart and Christ-like. Your purpose, if you're a Christian, right? If you're not, and talk amongst yourselves, I guess. If your purpose on this earth is to glorify God, to glorify him, he must be at the center of your life. For him to be at the center of your life, money cannot be. Money can only be, and it must only be, a means to the end of serving God. And when he is at the center of your existence, you will find contentment and peace that money simply will never bring. I mean, I, look, in my day job, right, I've known and worked with a lot of people with a lot of money. And I, I promise you, I promise you, um, I have sat across table from grown men weeping who had or thought they had everything late in life, right? Build up their retirement, done everything they thought the right way. Let me just tell you, it can be gone. I promise, promise you. But when he is at the center of your life, you can have, you can find contentment and peace. And that's what you really want, right? I mean, that's what we're talking about. That's what you really want. So be generous. As I said before, this group of believers and this group of people has been very generous. And today, again, it isn't me telling you to give more money to the church. I'm not, we're not gonna pass an offering plate around, okay? If you didn't come here today planning to get, this is not, this is not about that. This isn't some trick, okay? This is a reminder to you that we must continue to put God first in our lives. When you make money a tool for God's purpose and not for your pleasure, that means that God has the priority in your life, that he is at the center of your life. He is primary, money is only a means to glorifying him. So be generous. It's fun to be generous, by the way. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity 
James talked last week about having margin. And one awesome thing about margin is that it also gives you more opportunity to be generous. When you see the need of somebody and you're able to meet that need, you're willing to meet that need, and you see the look on their face, or you see that need being met, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing, and it lasts a whole lot longer than whatever that thing is that you think you want, right? And the reason why, the reason why that feels so good and the reason why it lasts is because that's what God made you to do. He didn't make you, he didn't put you here to accumulate stuff. That's why it feels so good when you give it away. So be generous. Sharing the burdens of others this week, this week, in doing so, you put God in his rightful place in your life. And that's first place. Father, things are so easy to say sometimes and so difficult to follow through on. It's easy to talk about being generous and meeting the needs of others. It's hard sometimes when we find ourselves trusting more in our money than we do in you, holding on to it, thinking that it's going to somehow provide for our needs. But I know, God, it can go just as easily as it came. So help us to let go of that false security this morning, to turn to you, the only one who gives hope, who gives peace. In Jesus' name.